You're listening to Sunnyside Up, a B2B podcast that brings together real-world insights to help go-to-market professionals evolve and stay up-to-date on the latest trends. Join us as we bring you the best practices and proven techniques from industry experts and practitioners. Today's episode is made possible by Demandbase. Demandbase is transforming the way B2B companies go to market by enabling customers to embrace modern digital sales and marketing with a complete end-to-end suite of products. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Sunny Side Up. I'm your host, Asher Matthew, and I'm excited today to talk to Lana Anderson about becoming a CMO. Lana, welcome to the show. Thank you. Great to be here. Now, for our listeners, right, we've kind of circled all of go-to-market, like we were in product marketing, we were then talking about competitive intelligence. One person actually talked about quota capacity, which I thought was a brilliant topic, to, is not not talked about enough. And and then recently we've been talking about brand refreshes and then how do you go from brand to demand? And so it's fitting that we actually just hit the topic of like, how does one become a CMO? So I'm excited, but Ilana, before we jump into the conversation, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and how you got to where you are, please? Yep, sure. I'm the Chief Marketing Officer at Vericode. I've done the CMO role quite a few times at this point. Um, I've also been a head of products uh, prior to that as well. So I ran ran products at a company called Unico, which was a MarTech company, and we were acquired by IBM. And then I, after that, I ran marketing at Demandware, which is an e-commerce platform acquired by none other than Salesforce. So, and before that, you know, frankly, I didn't grow up in marketing. So it's a little bit, I was an analyst at Forrester for a number of years. I built the marketing practice at Forrester. So, you know, if, if I look back, it seems like it may have been a well-engineered career, if you will, but it, was, it wasn't. It was I started out in consulting. I wanted to get in product management. Frankly, nobody would hire a consultant into product management at that time because, you know, product managers need to think about the, the one-to-many and consultants think about the one-to-one. You know, so I went to a small company called Forrester Research and uh, built the marketing practice there, which was a great experience. And at some point then I decided, you know, hey, I can't be an analyst forever. I need to make an honest woman of myself. Let me go and build products. So I did that at Unica and then we sold to marketing organizations. And so, you know, at some point I decided, yeah, I need to make an even more honest woman of myself and actually go and be a marketer. I need to go and do what I'm talking to everybody about every day. So that's sort of how I ended up on the marketing in the marketing seat. This is super interesting. And for our listeners, if you just landed on this podcast, you've got to go listen to the women leaders of the last three podcasts, right? Because everybody inevitably somewhere just decided that they're going to take just this blind risk and just go for it, right? And and it's super interesting because every one of those leaders basically said, and it'll be interesting when we unpack this stuff with Lana, is it was only a matter of 18 months ahead. And in 18 months, everything changed. And I'll tell you guys a little bit about my story, right? Like I was coached by the CEO of Lean Data around like, hey, thinking about the world of tech in 18 month sprints. And uh, and it's true. Like if you're a an emerging executive or you're somebody who wants to go push their career forward, you just have to plan for the next 18 months because you just have no idea what's going to happen. But I understand people have families, they need to take care of that, their families. So just make sure you have 18 months of personal runaway and then just go for it if you're going to go do this, you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I do think, I mean, to the point, to the point you're making, giving yourself a little bit of time to finish one job, do it really well, and then figure out what the next step is. I have to admit, I've taken little breaks in between in between my roles, and that's, you know, that's given me an opportunity to really figure out what's the right next step. So I think that's a great point. 
All right, let's dive in. So what is required to be an industry-leading CMO today, right? And I emphasize the word today because 18 months ago, it may have been a different requirement. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, well, that's fair. But I think, you know, given the, the fact that the world has changed and the requirements are different, you know, I'd say first and foremost, you can't bring a recipe book to the job. You can't come, you know, to the role for the first time or certainly move between companies and expect to rinse and repeat it all. You have to do your homework. You have to understand your customer, your audience. You have to know who they are, what matters to them, how your products deliver real value to them. And then I think it's about understanding also how your products differentiate what makes them unique. So you just, you can't underestimate. Of course, I'm a product marketer at heart, so you can't underestimate how important the messaging and the storytelling is. So I think that's first and foremost. It's, you know, and certainly true in today's world because a lot of a lot of things that we do in marketing is, have been completely flipped on their head, right? You know, I'd also say data. You can't shy away from the data, but you also can't get mired in it. But you have to be able to make decisions. You have to be able to turn on a dime in marketing. But, you know, the more data that you do have behind your decisions, I think the stronger those decisions will be. You know, I'd also, I'd also say process skills. I haven't said creative yet, but strong process skills. You know, I think my Accenture training way back when early in my career, at the beginning of my career, helped me build very solid process skills that helped me step back and put, you know, process or frameworks in place when, you know, when they're needed. It's not about process for process sake, but rather to drive, you know, the right framework that helps align your team, drive the right outputs, optimize your performance overall. And then finally, I think it's also critical Marketing is so broad, you know, today. In some areas, it's very analytical and technical, right? In other areas, it's very creative. And in other areas, it's all about process and project management. So understanding what your strengths are, nobody can do every single one of the functions in marketing super well. Nobody's an expert at everything in marketing. Uh, it doesn't matter how old you are. And so I think it's incredibly important to understand what your top skills are and then make sure you're building the right team around yourself. Fantastic. Do you have a framework, because you're a veteran, right? So do you have a framework, like outside of these pieces that you shared with us, right? Is there a framework or like a core competency or a mental model that like, hey, if I am a director of marketing and I do aspire to be a CMO one day, like, I need to kind of stay true to this framework or mental model and then develop all the way through, or this is just like, it's like just takes interesting assignments and then you'll get there. Yeah. You know, I don't think there's a specific framework, you know, what, and what I mean by that is if you do ABCD, you're going to get there. Right. That said, I think for, you know, when I, when I talk to folks that I mentor or, you know, individuals in my team that do aspire to be CMOs someday, you know, I talk to them, you know, essentially about the things we, we just talked about, you know, you don't have to do demand gen and then product marketing and then corporate marketing. You don't have to be an expert in every single discipline, but what you do have to be you know, and I'll go back to that again, you have to, uh, the, the fundamental thing in marketing is to understand your audience and how to engage with that audience, how to tell the right story to that audience. If you are super strong at that, then you can lead any marketing discipline. You know, I think as well, you know, bringing in the data and the process pieces as well. I think you can lead any marketing function and you can ultimately be a CMO. I think it's helpful if you develop your 
strategic skills as well as your execution skills, right? Because you have to, in marketing, you know, you're, you're thinking, you know, many quarters out to next year, et cetera. You know, I'm always thinking about how am I, how am I going to build my team from here? What is my team going to look like next year? And I'm not thinking that in November, you know, before <laughs> I'm thinking that many, many, many quarters ahead, right? So in marketing, there's really critical to build out your strategic skills, but also you have to be, you know, crack at execution. Both of those skills are really, are really critical. And then I'd say it's also, you know, about risk taking. Like if I think about every job, you know, I've done, as I said, I've done all these very different jobs, but they've all been sort of swirling around marketing as my key constituency buyer, you know, et cetera. And so, but each job had a major learning curve associated with it, right? I was in consulting, then I became an industry analyst, then I went and built marketing technology, then I went and became a CMO for e-commerce. Now I'm in cybersecurity, for goodness sake. So, you know, every job I take, it's either learning a new role or learning a completely new discipline. So you have to be really, you have to be a super passionate learner as well. Yeah, I would say the one thing that will help everybody in the audience, because the audience is about 7,500 people that are very, like they're either execs already or they're very close to it, right? Is the ability to context switch. Because if you're gonna be in the CMO seed, the CMO span is so broad, right? Because it's like brand to demand and everything underneath it, right? Is put yourself in the situations where you can develop a muscle for rapid context switching, right? Because it's gonna help. Otherwise, what happens is anxiety creeps in and then that actually like starts to take people personally. And then when you're gone personally, you're kind of gonna get checked out. But that has been, I think, one of the key things that at least I've seen amongst even all of my executive peers who are aspiring to become CMOs is that they're working diligently to put themselves in situations so they can build their context switching muscle. Yep. Yeah, I think that's a great point as well. Okay. So I guess there is something where when you are a VP, right, which is basically you're an org leader, right? And then you have to become a corporate leader, right? Which is what you graduate, become a CMO, right? What are there some certain things from your journey that you had to learn specifically in that span, right? Because I know there's the functional learning about the disciplines and, and other things, right? But there must have been things that are like when you were graduating from a VP to become a CMO, there must be some things that were just very crucial to even your journey, but things that you picked up from your peers as they made the jump too. Yeah, you know, I think the most important concept is the concept of who is your first team. In other words, where do your primary allegiances have to lie? So, you know, if you're a VP of demand gen or growth marketing or, or corporate marketing, if you're a VP, you are 100% focused on the marketing job, right? That's what you're fighting for every day. And, and your first team are your peers in marketing. So that's what you're fighting for every single, every single moment, right? Now, when you're at the executive level and your peer is the CRO and the chief product officer, et cetera, you know, that's your, that is now your first team. And so what you're fighting for is the success of that entire team. You know, I might, I'm the head of marketing and, and obviously I supporting my team's efforts and making the case for my team's efforts. 
But what you have to optimize for is the entire company at that point in time. And so investments in, in another area may make more sense than investments in your area. And you have to have that open mind to think that way. I think that really that is the biggest single leap and difference that somebody has to make when they take that step. I'm so glad you said this because if you didn't say this, I was going to say this a little bit later <laughs> in the podcast, but I'm really glad you said that. Because again, this is one of those things that is an extremely intentional move. It's not something that you're going to have an epiphanic moment and then you got it, right? This concept, and I, I'm going to give a shout out to Pat Follow, who taught me this way back in the day, but this is exactly the type of thinking that is needed to move up because everybody says it's all about building relationships, but then acting on the relationship comes from recognizing who's your team. It's not the people that report to you. Yeah. It's the people that were your peers and relinquishing control so that the greater organization could move forward. And it's very hard, right? Because it almost always feels like in B2B companies, everybody thinks that they're the best marketer, you know? So, so it's, <laughs> it's really hard. I put that towards it. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I think if I look back, you know, as I was stepping into the role and I think about the feedback I got at the time. So this is my third run as a CMO and it's probably, you know, it probably crystallized for me in my last run. Probably didn't really get that concept the first time around. Fantastic. So if you can all learn from the easier way than I did. <laughs> yes. Yes. But this is why this podcast is amazing because there's like folks like yourself we are helping people that are in India and Japan and Singapore. You know, there's all these amazing, this amazing talent that's out there that's trying to understand how do I unlock myself to become a super exec, right? And these are the types of things. Now, I will also say this, right? Outside of the first team concept, especially in a marketing role, you have to be able to have the mental strength to get the entire company around supporting marketing. This is very, very tough yeah. because there's like philosophical biases. There are historical biases against marketing, right? It's it's tough because people don't understand it, right? And then they only think about leads, ops, and deals, which is what everything gets reported on. So there's this neuro-linguistic programming that's happening by the company's processes, while marketing as a whole is actually trying to accomplish certain things that will tee the company up. Now, as you as a CMO absolutely needs to have this mental wherewithal to lead through this and say that the marketing is a company initiative. It's not just a team initiative. I say that because my background is from partnerships and the only other person that feels lonely, just like the CEO, <laughs> is probably the VP of partnerships because you're going through the same experience only in partnerships. The challenge is a little bit more, more because you actually have to create this environment. And then also your the model is that if the partnerships team got staffed, then the model isn't working, right? So like that's going to be the lowest human resources intensive uh, function. But the CMO actually has to help people understand different aspects of marketing so that they can intelligently speak to what is happening in the company. So I'd love some feedback on that from you. Yeah, no, that's that's funny. Well, so you were always the guy that's like, don't forget about our partners. 100%. What about our partners? <laughs> I hear that. 100%. I hear that all the time. No, but it's a great question because literally I was just in front of the, I had my corporate marketing and PR team in front of the executive leadership team this morning. PR is, for example, is one of those things that I've consulted with a lot of companies. It's hard to get some B2B leaders to outside of marketing to understand the value or embrace the value, yes. you know, because it's not, it's hard to measure, right? It's definitely hard to measure, you know, so I do 
think that the CMO is often the one at the table who's thinking several steps ahead, right? And there's always this sort of inclination from the broader team to think about how is this quarter looking, right? So, you know, whether as a CMO, you're talking about where is the market headed and what competitors, you know, there's today's competitors, in other words, who you're who you're competing against in every opportunity. And there's tomorrow's competitors in terms of how is your market segment changing and the winds changing so that new competitors are emerging on the horizon. To me, it's those longer, you know, marketing has to absolutely contribute to both. But if your org, if your marketing team is contributing more towards, you know, the current quarter or even just the next quarter and not thinking long term, then that's something that you need to work on. So, you know, I'm definitely the one at the table who's probably most prominently talking about, you know, what's happening down the line. But I do want to circle back too, because I think that, you know, when it comes to, you know, thinking about the future and investing in marketing, so many B2B companies take the perspective of, hey, we need to increase our bookings number. All right, let's add more heads. Let's add more sales reps, right? Give them a quota. That means we're going to increase our bookings. Well, maybe, right? (laughs) Maybe. But what if you increased your marketing spend instead of adding additional reps? You know, and how do you assess the, you know, how do you tell that story and create the value? What I'd say to that, and again, this is future looking, right? So, but from my perspective, that's where I sit down and work with the CFO. (laughs) Because if we think about the value or, or customer acquisition, you know, costs and things like that, you know, we can start to drill into, well, what is the value of adding, adding dollars to marketing to help, you know, help us grow down the line? Yeah. One way to actually say that this is going to be a good one because we're about to go talk about the relationship with the CFO. If you guys don't know this guy, Robin Deep Singh, he's actually with the one of the CROs, the CRO of Infanlytica. He was actually the guy who shared this concept with me. He was like, you know, it takes a lot of effort to attract people to you. But if you don't start, you're not going to be able to convert your funnel into a flywheel. Yeah. And what you want is this conversion so that then people come to you versus you're reaching out to them all the time. And if you have to reach out to them all the time, that's a heavy headcount resource in human resources and intensive initiative. But if you can create the flywheel where there's referrals happening and ultimately all this comes up into brand. And for those executives that are listening to this who may not be extremely financially savvy, the brand, whenever a company transaction occurs, actually gets parked into this line item called goodwill, which there's no calculation for, right? And so, but that is what companies pay a lot of money for because they're like, I would like to be associated with this top brand or I would like to consume that brand and maybe in future podcasts we'll do when you have like multiple brands how do you like layer them in but the it's really important to focus on creating an environment where people are coming to you even though today's environment may be that you have to reach out to people yeah well what i think about when you say that is is customer advocacy having your customers tell their story and and mention you along the way is more valuable than any, you know, any marketing campaign or dollar, right? So, you know, one of the first things I did when I came here to Veracode was to create a customer advocacy function and start to look for, and it's not about 
It's not about, hey, find customers who will be a reference for you. That's the wrong way to think about it. The way to think about it is, how can you help customers who are being successful tell their story? You know, because every, you know, people have motivations, right? And so your customers, yep. you know, may be wanting to put their brand on a pedestal. Individuals, you know, they, customers may be trying to parlay their success into another career success. So really getting into and investing in customer advocacy, because that that's where you start to get the flywheel. When your customers are talking about you, recommending you, yep. that's where the flywheel, that's where the magic really starts to happen. All right, let's talk about the relationship of a CMO with the CFO, because there's lots of podcast content around the CMO with the CEO, which I think is all about philosophical alignment, period. And then there's other things that you can do. But I don't think a lot of people have covered the relationship of a CMO with the CFO. So share with us your journey and your pointers. Yeah, so I was even mentioned the CFO already. Maybe is unusual for marketing, but it's an incredibly critical partnership. A typical high-tech enterprise software company is going to say, hey, we need to increase our sales next year. Let's add a bunch more sales reps. Yep. So how do we get, how do we start thinking about, well, it's not just about adding the sales reps, it's about increasing marketing spend. And what then is the requisite value of increasing marketing spend. And ROI to me is one of the hardest problems to solve in marketing. And I'm not talking about the simple stuff. It's pretty easy to figure out, hey, we did campaign XYZ. What was the ROI of that campaign? But when you take your overarching marketing spend, how do you figure out the value of that? And by spending incremental marketing dollars, what does that mean to the bottom line? So this is where the CFO and CMO partnership become really critical because if you can convince your CFO that spending more in marketing will yield, accelerate growth and increase your bookings, then you've got it made. So that's why, that's fundamentally why that relationship is so important. But where do you start? You know, I think in a couple of different companies now, getting down to the understanding what is the cost of, uh, of customer acquisition and what is the also not just acquisition cost, but what is the lifetime value of a customer? Because if you, you know, if you model out customer lifetime value, there's your initial acquisition cost. But then if you have customers average life cycle with a customer is eight years, which that's what, how we modeled it at a previous company. And that enables you to create a much different story. If all you're doing is measuring your sales and marketing spend against what is the current booking, then that is something you need to look at with your CFO for sure, because you need to be thinking about the overall life cycle, a relationship, the length of that customer will be on board. And to the point we were talking about before, also, if the customer is on board for many years, they're likely to be a happy customer. And what customers, you know, what is the down the line value of that? So what customers are they helping bringing to the table? So getting into that math, it's a little complex, but a lot of companies have done it by now. That can really help you tell a different story about why marketing investment is critical. But I've also, I've found that you can't just do it on your own. You have to have the CFO. Yes. The CFO has to agree with your math. Yes. I'll give a very tactical tip, and, and I've used this at a couple of companies. If you can, whatever your VP or C-level exec, right? Most people will say, get the office right next to the CEO. <laughs> I would actually say, just get the office right next to the CFO or share a desk with them or share a table with them. Because you're naturally going to build this bond and they're going to build this rigor into you so that the language that you speak is their language and stuff will get, stuff will fly. Like, like I've made extremely great friends 
with people in FP&A and finance just because I would show up to their meetings because nobody else that was non-finance actually wanted to spend time with them. <laughs> Let me tell you, those FP&A people can build some pretty impressive models, I tell you. 100%. It's like, first, I got called out that I didn't know how to run operations. Then I got called out I couldn't do modeling. And so every time I got called out, I just said, okay, well, you know, why don't we set up a time? And then I would particularly make that time a recording meeting. And then that's how you learn. So like, again, I've shared this just because there's a bunch of aspiring executives out there. And these are the things how you can tactically just advance forward and stop with all the, hey, we have to do this, take out these courses, etc. This is not a 17-year journey. It's just a very personal journey and you can learn from people that you were working with today. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And remember FPNA, just like, just like you just said, Asher, they are your friend. Yes. They are your friend. They can help find budget in all kinds of places. 100%. 100%. <laughs> all right. Let's talk about cybersecurity and marketing teams, right? Because I know we normally don't talk about the companies on this podcast, but we've been talking about industries for the last, I want to say, four or five podcasts. And so this one, I was fortunate. I'm like, hey, this uh, cybersecurity topic is interesting because understanding how to market into this world might be interesting for people. So can you give us some guidelines or your experience and how people should think about this world? Yeah, you know, cybersecurity people. So this, you know, so I came from front office software, CRM, MarTech, e-commerce into cybersecurity. One thing about cybersecurity people is they are innately suspicious bunch, right? (laughs) (laughs) Very suspicious. So I think, you know, this is where being authentic, like we talk about that all the time, it's a little little buzzwordy in marketing, but they do not like marketing BS. And so being authentic and being helpful, being useful, providing, you know, technical detail, this is stuff in cybersecurity that matters. You know, it's been interesting because obviously with COVID, we've all been virtual, remote, you know, events aren't what events used to be. And so we've been trying out all these different, you know, as everybody has, we've been trying out all kinds of different techniques and that sort of thing to drive, to gain audience. You know, they do not like to turn their cameras on. (laughs) (laughs) So, so expect that, you know, it took me a few times to learn, but they just do not like to turn their cameras on. So I say that seriously, it's true, but it also makes it hard to figure out how do you engage in virtual. Now, we found if it's a much smaller group and there's some trust, you know, in your networking, well, then that seems to work a lot better. But the large scale stuff, you have to create large scale formats where you don't expect, you know, at least video interaction because they just don't turn their cameras on. So, so I, I, that, that's been a sort of a fun, fun lesson learned. I think, you know, in all seriousness, it is about more important than, you know, than in any other industry I've played in, being really, truly being authentic, being detailed, being helpful, thinking about how your marketing content is going to add value to somebody's day. And that's, you know, also how you cut through the, the clutter today. Fantastic. Well, this has been great. Let's move to the next section. Is there a book, blog, newsletter, website, (laughs) video, or some other resource that you can recommend to our listeners? Ashar, I'm going to be really honest with you. My my best resource is Google. Okay. And I'll just, (laughs) why is that? I'll, I'll say, you know, I have, I have all kinds of books and newsletters, et cetera, bookmarked and, you know, getting lots of them all emailed and 
the digests and so forth. And I do not have time to read any of them religiously. That said, I read all the time. Today, it might be Forrester or Gartner. Tomorrow, it might be something in the Harvard Business Review. Sometimes I look stuff up on Tech Target, you know, to if, I, if I'm unfamiliar with, you know, deep technical things. So my best resource is search. <laughs> yep. Basically, what you're saying is if you want to reach Elana, just up your paid search budget. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's true. <laughs> You just have to know what's going on in my head or what I'm working on. (laughs) No, but it's every day, you know, every day I'm reading. But, you know, lately it's, you know, it's about the great resignation and things like that. And what we need to do to work, you know, in today's world. You know, I don't expect my team to be back in the office full time anytime soon. You know, so the the point is, is that every day and, and this is true as an exec, right? Every day it's a different question. And it can be widely varied topics. And so, yes, yes, it's about Google. <laughs> yes. Well, one thing as, as a marketer, you should always do, at least in my humble opinion, right, is you have to be really good at copywriting. Like, I don't know, but ever since like I learned about marketing, I have this like deep fascination. I used to have a deep fascination with creative, right? But then after creative, I have got this deep fascination with like copywriting. And this podcast has been like one of the most inspirational things that helping me copyright. And yes, on yesterday's podcast, they shared this resource called The Elements of Style. It's this book by William Strunk. Strunk and White. Oh, that's my, that's a Bible, man. That is my Bible. Yes. Yes. (laughs) And so I'm like, if you have not read this book, you have to go read it because you have to like, Pick the right words that embolize the vision that you have. You it's like so if you if like outside of Google, if you want something to read, like you have to read this book. Well, that's totally fair. So I have the Elements of Style, Struck and yes. White book on my desk, and I've had it there since my Forester days, where you know we would spend hours trying to figure out the exact words yes. to use and how not to have the line go over to the next line yes i learned that hardcore when i joined forester research and knowing how to write well and keep it the right tone of voice get your key points across but do it concisely that is absolutely lesson learned for me key critical it was actually it was drilled into my brain during my forester experience so thank you forester yeah so that's great that's a great <laughs> shout out all right do you have a few people and we always ask people if you have three other people who are in b2b tech who are either in go to market or data science that you would recommend we bring on to the show yeah sure let's see okay suresh vital suresh is the chief product officer at alterix Worked with me at Forrester and uh, went on to do other great things. Now currently at Alteric. Great guy. Oh, I'm going to give Forrester another shout out here. Jessica Iandiorio was way back when she was a research associate at Forrester. She's now the CMO of Starburst, so another AI company. And then, you know, I'd say Jessica Bergman, who ran ran our content team, content marketing team at Demandware, and she's now VP of content and customer marketing over at Salesforce. So those are three folks that I, I think the world of. Yeah. And Demandware was an amazing ride. Like, I, I remember I was at Avalara when we were partnering with Demandware. Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. That company was special. Like, I got to tell you. And your founder was, I forget his name, but he was, he was really, really down to earth guy and super duper awesome. Yeah, Stefan Schombach. Yeah. 
he was he was great. Yeah. All right. So as we wrap this thing up, if folks want to get in touch with you, what would be the best way for them to connect with you? Yeah, probably LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn. Okay. And uh, that's the the probably the the best way to reach out. I'm reasonably responsive anyway in LinkedIn. <laughs> yeah. Well, I always put this disclaimer when we have execs, you know, execs on the podcast. It's like, please be specific in your ask. C-level execs all have time to help. They're extremely resourced. But if your ask is vague, you're just not going to get any response. It's, it's, it's fair. Yeah, I'd say, please don't try to sell me anything. Because <laughs> I get a lot of those. <laughs> <laughs> well, then you should have like a copywriting contest. Where like, okay, who actually had the best copy? Well, I did. so I do occasionally forward messages onto my team that come from some enterprising SDR somewhere, sales yeah. development rep. And if they're really good, I do forward them. But if it says you're not responding to me because, you know, you must have been eaten by a whale, I do not respond. I do not forward any of those on. So I'm just saying, because I get a lot of those these days. I don't forward them. <laughs> Who doesn't want to get eaten by a whale these days? You know, like. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. All right. Well, well, this was a blast. Thank you so much for joining me. And uh, I really got enjoyed getting to know you and best of luck on your journey. Thank you. You too. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Sunnyside Up. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us and subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you consume podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube and Demand Based TV. 